I wish every day was the same, but like every day there is a new uh, sort of thing that pops up that absolutely requires uh, my uh, my attention. I think that in the DevOps world, it's very easy to get pulled in a million different directions. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest on the podcast is an ops leader with experience leading global teams at scale. She's had a wide range of ops responsibilities across sales strategy, monetization, marketing, business ops. She's brought her skills in the last number of years to LinkedIn, Slack, and now works as the head of revenue strategy and operations at Notion. Today on the show, we're really excited to invite to the podcast, Namratha Ram. Welcome to the show, Nam. Thank you, Jaren. Excited to be here. Right off the bat, as you know, and as our audience knows, we love to get into the juicy stuff, the stuff that feels maybe a little uncomfortable, a little vulnerable. We love some stories. So first off, what is something in RevOps, sales ops, or any other kind of ops, biz ops, that you've had to learn the hard way in these last number of years? Yeah, I think the, there are a lot of different things that you know have taken time to learn and investment to learn. The thing that I've had to go the deepest into most recently was around systems and technology, um, specifically around what a good sales stack looks like. Uh, and that comes from experience. Um, <laughs> having gone through a lot of different situations where the connections between two different systems have broken, when we have made changes, in one system, the other system has been impacted. A lot of those different learnings have come to light in the last, uh, in my experience at Notion, uh, that it isn't easy managing a tech stack and man driving changes in these tech stack. And that needs to be like proper process, development processes and testing processes in place uh, to ensure that you have a... Um, you get the tools to do what uh, you want them to do, which is to empower your sales teams. So that for me has been like some of the, the biggest learnings that I've had uh, in uh, in my ops, strat ops career. And it's interesting because like it isn't specifically strategy focused or, you know, like deep, uh, you know, just that ops focus. It's been more technology focused. Um, and given that I have an engineering background in the past, it was like good relearning for me being like, hey, this is this level of rigor around software development has to be applied to, you know, configuration changes and customization changes within your sales stack as well. So that for me is uh, something that, um, you know, really stands out as a learning moment in uh, my StratOps career. That's, I think, a great reflection because as we advance in terms of our responsibility skills, you know, our our purview keeps on increasing horizontally as well. And there's some of these really fundamental things until we run into it and we're like, oh, well, that messed up. Um, it brings us back to the basics. Yes, it absolutely does. And I think that every time that happens, it's good to sort of go back to first principles and really think about uh, you know, what is needed to drive success and be able to bring that uh, that humility and learning um, and relearning uh, to, to every single situation. I love that you have an engineering background. I'm going to guess that a lot of the folks that come up through ops have either an FP&A or, or some other background, but not like pure engineering. So I think that's outstanding and really will, will serve you well as the tech stacks continue to evolve and get more comp complex. What, what size RevOps team are you working with these days? Yeah, we're slightly under 10 people. Um, and uh, that's the size of our RevOps team. Um, and uh, we currently just, and it's it, it would be, um, we sh it, I want to make sure that we talk about the scope as well, because, you know, there are different size RevOps teams and RevOps means different things in different companies. Um, so our RevOps team covers sales ops, 
CS and CX, customer support as well, as well as marketing ops. It most recently also had the BizTech function, as I mentioned before, uh, but that has actually moved to a, a different leader within the organization. But it is a team that uh, that encompasses strategy and operations across the whole GTM um, set of functions. Oh, that's great. And I'm glad that you clarified. I think we're always interested in in understanding because every company does have that different mix of responsibilities and functions within within RevOps. So thank you for sharing that. Um, with So you've got your team of 10, you're spread out across the globe. Yeah. Um, how do you determine the right balance of in-house versus outsourced work? That's such a good question, David, because like, uh, you know, it's a constant uh, stream of questioning that I that plays out in my head. Like, do we need this as a permanent, uh, you know, a person being in there to address the the needs or is it is it more temporary, especially as we see ebbs and flows in terms of our workload. And I think RevOps sees it the most because, you know, especially around planning period, there is a considerable amount of spike and um, and then it goes down and normalizes. So um, I think that it's it's definitely comes down to the specific functions and specific expertise that you need. Um, so if you look at the um, the ability to address needs certain needs through contractors, it is most easier in certain areas versus not. So for example, uh, an area where we feel like the the work can be sort of given away to an outsourced third party as long as we put the right processes together and we can focus on like higher level tasks is around data cleanliness and entry, right? So that's an area where we typically invest in contractors because one, it it uh, it it does require a lot of you know like deep uh, work, but the the depth of the work and, and the complexity of the work is not that much. It's really about you know repetitive um, tasks that you do that you perform on a regular basis, and and it's less about like strategic thinking or like deep analysis that needs to happen. So in that case, we are more than happy to outsource that kind of work. Uh, to somebody such that it allows us to focus on things that requires the broader context, business context, as well as the the deep thinking. So I, I think that if I think about my framework for what I would prefer to outsource versus house in uh, within the company, I would say number one, it's really about the the complexity and the repetitiveness of the work, right? So that's one. Uh, piece of it. So lower complexity, high um, similar uh, tasks needed to be performed one after another. That's one piece that I would outsource. Second piece is around really being able to understand the availability of good talent within that space. So, you know, data contractors are easily available and are easily, there is a lot of good data contractors out there. So that's another area. Salesforce contractors have also seen a lot of those, uh, you know, being outsourced because the the teams may not have in-house functionality. There are some good Salesforce contractors that are out there that can help augment your current team as then as as there are major projects that come in and out, right? That's the second piece. And the third one is really around being able to assess what that um, ebbs and flows look like. Is there a, is there a spike versus not? And if there isn't one, I don't think you necessarily need those extra contractors. But if there is one specifically around technology work, specifically around planning work, that that ends up giving you the the necessity to be half the staff externally. So I think those three factors really play into, you know, how and when you decide to resource externally versus in-house. So you, you shared a bit about your team. Um, I'm, I'm assuming they're spread out across the globe. They are spread out across the globe, David. You got, you got that right. So how how do you how are you able to shut that off if if there are, you know is there any time zone where you get a little bit of a break? Good good question. Um, I do work from around. I don't work around the clock, but I do work from around. Let's call it six o'clock to about eight o'clock. I do respond to pings, but then my team is a very understanding team. They know that beyond that, it's. It's, uh, you know, they try to get most of their questions in 
uh, before within that time uh, within that time slot. And if yeah. they need anything beyond that, they know that you know I can always I will always get back to them in the morning or yeah, as soon real, as I wake up. It's a real double edged sword, right? Going global with the team just yeah. because because of that. And and I'm curious, just given the funding and given the growth, are you hiring? Yes, we are hiring. We're we're hiring for some very exciting roles. We're hiring on in uh, the compensation sales compensation partner as someone we're looking to hire. We're hoping to make our first hire on that side of uh, the the RevOps world. Uh, we're also looking to hire some folks in um, CS and CX strategy and ops. That's also an open role. Uh, that's out there. So we're absolutely hiring. Um, and so anybody interested, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Nam, you mentioned just now in talking about, you know, the number of time zones you're managing, you're starting pretty early Pacific time, you're ending, you know, kind of in the evening uh, after. Give me a sense. I know it's going to change a lot given the spikes, the special projects you're pulled in. Give me a sense of what your day-to-day typically entails. What are the kind of big rocks you try to make sure you work on in, say, a given work week? Yeah. I wish every day was the same, but like every day there is a new uh, sort of thing that pops up that absolutely requires uh, my uh, my attention. I think that in the DevOps world, it's very easy to get pulled in a million different directions, Jaren. So I think you got that right, which is like, you know, there's so many different ways that you you could potentially go about approaching your day. Um, I like to remind myself in the beginning of the day is what are the three big priorities that I need to accomplish? Because if I don't remind myself every day that these are the three things, three most important things, I can tend to get sucked into a lot of other things. Um, so it's a good reminder to continuously, you know, like, Remind yourself and at the end of the day, calibrate being like, have I made progress across those three big things, right? Um, And so for me, I start my day with like just anchoring myself to the most important pieces that absolutely need to get done in that in the next two weeks or in that quarter or whatever that is. But like bringing, make, identifying your big rocks is the most important part of starting your day. And then there's a lot of work that goes into you get sucked into meetings, conversations with uh, cross-functional stakeholders, fire drills, uh, and so the the day goes on. But it, making sure that you spend at least, you know, I don't know, let's call it thirty to one hour uh, of your time on these big rocks is incredibly important. So I actually ask my EA to block out at least, you know, one two hours in my day to work on those pieces. So uh, my day to day just varies a lot. Uh, on a regular basis, but the consistent part of it is um, around being able to make progress on those three, three top priorities. Yeah. And I think most people we've spoken to where they really have the sense of direction, have some sort of habit or some sort of way to like start their day in the right yeah. foot. What are some examples of those, you know, common or recent top priorities that have been on your radar? What are you trying to make sure, hey, I have a couple hours a day to make sure I'm pushing this forward? Yeah. Some examples of this is, of course, planning, right? Planning for the next fiscal year, um, especially as, you know, you, with the incredible growth to sustain that, there has to be a sizable amount of scaling that happens, especially for the the sales team. So um, I think that that is a a focus area. How do you scale efficiently, responsibly, um, in a way that is best suited to capture the the growth potential out there? But at the same time, you aren't like growing for the sake of grow- growing. Um, so that's one area that I'm that I'm focused on uh, as a as a as a top priority as an example. Um, the the next area that I am focused on is really around uh, more building out the. Um, sales methodology piece. So enablement also falls under me. And I should have mentioned that in the in in my uh, when I was describing the scope of RevOps. So sales methodology and sales process, especially in a company that is scaling, it's incredibly important to establish because you are bringing in new folks on such at such a high clip that you want to make sure that they have some sort of prescriptive guidance in place because they come from varying backgrounds, they come from like they have varying level of experience. You want to have a prescriptive process in place. So sales process and methodology is, is another area that I'm really investing 
very deeply into uh, because it's a foundational element that is going to help us really scale um, in the future. And the third piece of it is being able to build a, um, you know, um, proper sort of operating cadence uh, for us and not just forecasting and blah, blah, blah. But like, how do you create these pipe gen programs where you are developing pipe, not just for that quarter, but like three quarters ahead? And how do you make sure that you're hitting these pipe gen targets, right? Because that's important. And then once you have the pipe, how do you make sure that you are executing on this pipe effectively through the right deal reviews, through the right checks and balances, all those features? I think that when people say operating cadence, they think it's forecasting. That's that's one piece of it, yes. But there's a lot of rigor around building pipe and making sure that you're closing out deals. That's a really important foundational part that is really important to establish right from the beginning, as opposed to, you know, towards the... Um, towards the middle of your scaling journey. Yeah, I think the challenging thing, especially for folks listening right now and in this year, 2023, where there's just still so much uncertainty in the market where almost everyone we've spoken to have said, wow, it's felt a lot harder is, you know, in a good year, it's easy for us to say, well, let's look at not only this year, let's look at next year, let's look at the three quarters from now, four quarters from now, et cetera. And in a year like this, everyone seems to just be, well, what do we need to do to stay afloat today or tomorrow or like in a week? It's much more reactive. And I think what's remarkable is obviously with Notion's growth, you're still able to maintain that level of strategic uh, time horizon. Uh, you're looking ahead and you're not just saying, well, you know, let's let's manage the demand coming in right now. How do we ensure we have the pipe uh, some some quarters or some years in the future? Yeah. I think that it's always interesting. There's always going to be a balance of short-term initiatives versus medium-term initiatives. But the the reality is that um, there are only a few levers that really change around performance overnight or like in a very short period of time, especially with deals. Because the deals, depending on your deal cycles, right? So if you have a very short deal cycle, yes, you can you know, um, drive immediate change almost overnight. But usually in order for you to drive significant amount of change. It takes about two quarters mm. um, in, in the sales world. Uh, so I've like, I have taught myself to set the right expectations. Um, and I understand that in, you know, you know, being overly reactive is probably not the best thing because then it can create a whiplash effect. And then you don't really know whether something has worked or not, because it takes about two quarters of data to be able to assess is this working? Is this not working? Because there are uh, seasonality assumptions in play. There's a lot of different things that need to happen. The uptake could be a lot slower depending on the size of the sales team. So I have set myself to believe that even if I am being reactive to certain things, I give enough time such that I'm able to truly assess did that tactic work or not. I love that. And you know, when we're on the topic of assessing, I'd love to hear from you, given that you do have so many functional areas that roll up to you. You're thinking about today and the future, you know, these short-term and mid-term projects. How do you effectively measure and track success in your own role? Like what to me, what to you in your position being so cross-functional will actually demonstrate like, hey, this year didn't go by and I was only responding to fire drills. Yeah. That's a that's a great uh, great question that I keep asking myself every single day, right? What does success look like for me and my team? And I think the answer is 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 pretty obvious to me, which is like you having been the support engine or the strategic engine that drives all these different functions. You're inevitably tried tied to the success metrics that assess those different functions. So for sales, it's revenue for marketing, it's inbound pipe gen for uh, CX, it's CSAT. Uh, For CS, it's utilization and churn. Um, So all these different metrics that the the teams are gold on is is indirectly your goal because your job is to make sure that they are successful. Um, And so as I think about impact, as I think about prioritization, I think about like what are the initiatives that are going to move the needle on those metrics the most. And I prioritize that way because it is just really important to tie yourself 
to the the functions that you are supporting. Um, and, you know, be laser focused on those things. Of course, all of those are lagging indicators, but there could be leading indicators, right, that you may want to track. So for example, for the pipe gen efforts we talked about, did you have a certain number of meetings that you drove and that you were able to Im- Im- effect a change in, in a change in trajectory? So suppose they were like, I don't know, making, having 10 calls a day, were you able to get it up to 12 calls a day? Um, and so I think it's not the metrics itself is important, but driving change and continuous improvement across these metrics is probably something that you should, you know, think about and and focus on because those are the initiatives that drive that change is what you can attribute your success to. Um, so that's how I think that uh, I think about. Um, you know, success for RevOps, although it's not easy. And there are a lot of factors, right? It's, um, you know, correlation versus causation. You can never really fully tie something out to one specific factor. I know that from running a ton of data analysis, but uh, I do my best to see what the RevOps team can do to help with those North Star metrics and mm-hmm. look at leading indicators that lead to those metrics and try to move those. I love that. I think the incremental can sometimes be very, very meaningful because like you said, it's hard to determine, was it something your team did? Was it something yes. uh, the hiring strategy resulted in? You know, there's all these factors. So I want to take this uh, just one more step deeper, which is, yes. is there anything right now that's keeping you up at night? What types of ops stuff are you really trying to solve right now? Yeah, I think the the thing that is keeping me up at night is probably keeping a lot of people up at night, which is around um, the AI transformation that is, you know, that we're all experiencing. Um, And we want to be drivers and not just, we want to be in the driver's seat as opposed to just reacting to it. So I think about every day is like every time there is a certain sales problem that happens or problem with certain sales like function, like can we do this better through technology? Is something that con- is constantly coming up my coming up in my mind, which is, and and in every almost every single part of the sales process, right? Whether it is like prospecting, can we do that better? How can we get the right intelligence? Whether it is outreach, how can we create customized cadences based on signals as opposed to you know um, you know more you know, standard cadences that we send out. Can we actually use AI, especially LLM models to come up with the right messaging and outreach? And then once you go to content creation, is there something that can help our sales team get the right ROI metrics easily and put that into an output? And then of course, while they're having the conversations with the the customers, is there a prompt that AI can give to help them better have a conversation? So all of these different things can happen. And we're in the face of some incredible change and transformation. And I think what what we're going to see is that the sales teams that do get ahead are ones that are able to take advantage of this in a very meaningful way. Um, and the ones that are, you know, like uh, left behind will, will have to catch up at some point. And so my, what's keeping me up at night is how do I make sure that Notion's sales team is at the forefront of this technological change that is happening. Um, and that is, so we're testing out a lot of different things within the team to be able to see what works and what doesn't work. Can you share one or two examples that's getting you very excited right now in terms of how you're incorporating AI or LLM models internally um, for I for any team that's rolling up under you? Yeah, I mean, I think the technology is still being developed. So like we're trying to make some experiments to see what works versus not. But one of the things that we are considering is like how you take, there's a lot of product usage, there's a lot of LinkedIn data on like specific contacts in terms of what they do. How do you take that and build a personalized message uh, in terms of outreach, right? So the biggest drop-off that we see is from outreach to meeting. And so if we were to improve that, like talking about lagging meeting indicators here, uh, if we were to improve that, then you're, you're automatically going to see a pretty big impact on revenue. And so one of the things that we have found is that personalized emails do get you know better responses. Personalized outreach on LinkedIn gets responses. So how do you build this personalized response, personalized outreach to a large number of 
contacts. And if we can leverage the LNM models to try and create the right cadence outreach, then I think that um, that could be a very interesting way to uh, engage um, customers. And that impacts, you know, the, the top of funnel, the top of the sales funnel, which I think could obviously pull through a lot of different ways. Another way is that, you know, we are looking at uh, really being able to pull together uh, the right uh, resources. And some of this is still very, very early stages of experimentation is content creation. Can you automatically create? And I think some of it already exists in different like companies like LinkedIn and Slack, where they've like pre-built some of the content creation for the sales team. But can you use the LLM models to go one step deeper, deeper mine the gong calls and, you know, prep, come up with a, a prep document for the sales team to be like, here are some of the frequently asked questions that the customers have asked based on previous conversations. So being able to parse that information and give account specific insights is another interesting area that uh, we could de dive deeper into and that we're thinking about. Um, and so those are some examples of, uh, of specific areas where it is more easy. Um, there's a, the harder one would be, you know, coming up, um, with some sort of prompting technology, but, um, that one is uh, a bit further away. And out of curiosity, knowing that notions invested also a lot in your AI, uh, internally for your product, yes. are there any ways that your, um, go-to-market team, your revenue team is using notion and it's AI functionality to help with some of the things you've just mentioned regarding outreach, yeah. meeting setting, content creation, et cetera. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of different teams are, I mean, a lot of different folks are experimenting with this a lot. Like, and I can tell you what, like how it's helped me. Right now we have our AI writer functionality built in, which is very solid. So every time I create content, I'm able to like summarize or I'm able to improve writing. I'm also able to like, you know, um, take in the, the meeting notes that I put in and, you know, come up with action items and fill out a database. Right. Because Notion is a connected workspace where you can, you know, really make work happen. You're able to take conversation and convert that into action um, right within Notion. And I think the AI writer functionality already allows you to do that. And so now applying it to the sales context, I think that's a very similar. A lot of the sales teams are starting to do that, which is like when they have cross-functional pod teams and they've had a customer conversation. Being able to, uh, you know, have take those meeting notes and convert it into a database that assigns different folks uh, action items very easily is an area where, you know, a lot of teams are starting to use this. Also in their prep and outreach, uh, they are starting to use the Notion uh, software to like be able to create the right outreach for uh, different customers because a lot of our content lives within Notion. So they're able to pull together an effective email based on the, the Notion's best functionality that PMM created. Um, and so in both those ways, people are already starting to use Notion AI to really transform their day-to-day um, their, uh, their -day work. And I think the more that you figure out how you're going to, you should be able to do that, the better and more efficient your teams and yourself is going to be. So um, it's an exciting time for all of us, I think. How exciting to hear about that. I think for probably a lot of us and a lot of our listeners, AI right now is a little bit of a plaything with sort of almost like a novelty, pull it out and try something. When my book came out, I asked uh, uh, ChatGPT, you know, what would be a good strategy for marketing a new book on Salesforce analytics and whoosh, came out, you know, came out the answer. Uh, so it's great to hear that Notion is taking advantage of its own technology uh, in, in innovative ways. So Nam, you've worked at multiple product-led growth companies from LinkedIn to Slack through the Salesforce acquisition and now Notion. What are some cross-functional corporate level initiatives that are unique to product-led growth uh, operations? Yeah, I think the, um, the, 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 the cross-functional initiatives are very much focused on being able to leverage the online and product line growth to be able to scale that further, right? So take the initial interest that comes in online to be able to scale that further into a wall-to-wall -wall deployment or a broader relationship. And so a lot of the cross-functional initiatives 
span both the growth team. The growth team is typically focused on the driving the the online acquisition of customers and the expansion within the online space. And then the sales teams are focused on like taking that online interest that does come in and then expanding it to a more, uh, you know, long-term contract and long-term relationship and more expanded relationship. And so the cross-functional, you know, initiatives often span, especially within PLG companies, span both the, the growth side as well as the sales side, coming together to figure out like what are the ways to impact the full customer journey. Uh, and so an example of that could be how you onboard a customer after you sign a sales contract can be very much impacted from how they ended up using the product in the first place after signing up by themselves, right? Um, and so a lot of the pain points that the customer success team is having here, there needs to be a, a conversation with the growth team in terms of how they are enabling onboarding right from the beginning in the automated workflows when people are signing up. So that's an example of a cross-functional initiative where CS is talking to product and saying, Here's what, here's the pain points that we're seeing. What can be done right at the beginning of the customer journey to ensure that they're signing up for the product in the right way and they're using the product in the right way, right? So that's an example of a, a cross-functional initiative that you would see in a PLG company only because in most other <clears throat> non-PLG companies, it's directly you're going through sales. That's your first touch point. And uh, you're, uh, you're, you're, going, you're, you're, you're essentially going on a different, you're setting on a different customer journey. And that's the beginning there. But oftentimes in a PLG company, once sales gets in, the, the customer has already had a decent amount of experience with the product. And so being able to drive that connection point between growth and sales to be able to say what is the best and optimal customer journey to drive full success is so important in our examples where you there has to be a cross-functional collaboration that happens almost regularly between the two teams. I, I, you know, it's funny, I'm thinking in my own experience, uh, speaking to a user group in Charlotte uh, last week about some new Salesforce analytics features, and one in particular that I'm really excited about, but it, it takes a checkbox to turn it on. And people are like, well, what do you think uh, will stop people from using this? I'm like, it's the stupid checkbox. Like, and, and, you know, one team that's the product engineering team doesn't have control over the enablement features. And maybe these right. teams need to talk to each other a little more to smooth that out. It sounds great that that notion that you've you've got that thought through, uh, especially with that product-led growth motion of having uh, people having had experience already with the product and yeah. maybe it wasn't a good experience and maybe, you know. Uh, so um, I'd love to ask you about board and investor visibility. Um, do you interface with the board of investors? I do, I do, I do present to the board uh, on a quarterly basis. And one of the reasons that that I like to ask is that we have a lot of interest within the RevOps world. Some teams present, some teams prep materials and present to the board. Others just uh, will pull pull metrics together and right. create the stories around them. Um, can you share a little bit about your background with prepping board materials? Yeah, so I think that you know the the board conversations are <clears throat> should be like as transparent as possible in terms of how we're doing and uh, currently basically what where we want to go and how we're doing against where we want to go. Those are the, the the things that you're trying to communicate, which is like here's where we want to go, here's our strategy, here's how we're doing against it. Um, and so that's essentially how I present some of the the or put together the materials. And the story very much is about, um, you know, the journey that we're on to get to where we want to go. Um, and it's a lot of focus on up-leveling the metrics because otherwise we, as the DevOps teams, we have to go deep, right, in order to be operators. Uh, and oftentimes we, can, we could get lost in like the detailed nuances. But I think when you're having a conversation with the board, it has to be more about a narrative that you're telling around the... Um, the journey and the direction uh, in which you are hoping to move. So it's not just about the metrics, but it's about the movement of what are the most important metrics. So um, I think that, you know, uh, a sample, an example narrative can be, hey, we want to get to $1 billion. 
And uh, here's where we are today. And in order to get there, we need to improve this and this. And here's how we're doing in terms of improving this and this. All right. So that could be a sample narrative that you use to a board uh, that could actually, you know, give enough clarity on the direction and the progress that you're making quarter on quarter. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, one of the chapters in my book was about trending, and that's you know that's part of it. That's looking backwards, but but I like the idea of the you know um, what you shared with the journey and the direction. So on the topic of reporting, and as this fits into technology, I'm I'm curious, where do you go to get an at a glance view of how the business is doing? Great question. Where do I go to get? There isn't one space. Obviously, I use Salesforce reporting. Uh, um, having worked, uh, you know, in Salesforce, I am very familiar with some of the Salesforce reporting. Uh, and so I have my own reports and dashboards built in terms of where are we in terms of, uh, you know, our total ERR that's closed, incremental ERR that's closed, as well as uh, what's our pipe and what's our coverage looking like, right? So I'm able to see that directly within, within Salesforce, and that's a pretty easy pull for me. Now, the more nuanced metrics around meetings and things like that, we have piped that into Salesforce, but uh, the the ability to view that is not as easy and the ability to do cohort analysis is not that easy. So for example, when you want to track lead flow and saying this lead cohort, how did it do? Uh, you have to use like external data science dashboards. So I would say a combination of both Salesforce and data science dashboards is sort of what I use to... Um, to give a, get a sense for where the business is at. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious more broadly, is there a tech stack tool that you just couldn't live without? A tech stack tool that I couldn't live without? Um, I think that I have a lot of favorites. Uh, some of my favorites are, I, I do like Gong because it gives you a lot of insight into the conversation. Uh, oftentimes we say, okay, conversations happen. What is good, what is bad is is going to be interesting. And especially again, with going back to this AI technology, I think we can do even more in like seeing, parsing out what customer sentiment is and things like that based on what people are saying over time. Something to, to definitely look at. Um, so I, I do like that. And then I also, uh, one of the other tools that I do use is also People AI, which gives me access into like emails and meetings and one of those different pieces. So I think that that's another area where uh, I look at. I also look at engagement on Slack because a lot of customers, a lot of reps now are using Slack Connect to um, to drive conversations with customers and they found it to be a much easier way of communication. Um, so also engagement with Slack on customer with customers is um, is is another important tool that I look at to to be able to to do stuff um, and and analyze. Um, the the input metrics of the sales team. Well, you've got a kindred spirit yeah. with Gong uh, in in Jaren here, so <clears throat> I'm sure she'd love to. I could tell Jaren was smiling when I was yes. saying that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, um, in the first 35, 40 minutes, uh, we've talked a lot about kind of your day to day work, your thoughts around um, how AI can help with go to market motions. I want to spend probably the last ten minutes letting our audience get to know you a bit better. You're currently based out of Palo Alto in California, Tech Central. Um, you've got your beat tech in information technology back home in the National Institute of Tech in Karnataka. And then also you got your MBA um, from UVA's Darden School of Business. Previously, you know, we've referenced a few times already, you were with Slack, you were with LinkedIn, uh, specifically you were head of sales strategy and operations at Slack prior to joining Notion. How did you find yourself in RevOps and go-to-market ops today? What was this like long and winding road where yeah. you discovered, hey, operations might be my thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... Um... It's 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 an interesting story uh, for sure. It um, I I I grew up in Bangalore. <clears throat> I start from the beginning. I'll just I'll give you a quick overview of sort of how I get got here. Grew up in Bangalore and uh, uh, in in India. And it, before the tech, so the IT revolution, it was a sleepy sleepy retirement town with great weather. But then uh, the IT re revolution came about and like it transformed into a like solid IT hub. 
And I was I was quite enamored by that as a, as a child, and I, so I decided to go into engineering. And um, so I pursued uh, you know computer engineering in my undergrad and focused there uh, because I was so enamored by it, and I really liked the problem solving element of engineering and being able to build things that I found very exciting as well, right? So um, both those pieces I loved. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go into and, and become an engineer. And my first job out of undergrad was to go into Intuit. And I worked on QuickBooks, um, which as uh, an accounting software, at that point it was desktop. And a lot of the work that I was doing was around trying to take it and make it more of an online uh, satisfied product at that point in time. So I'm probably dating myself here uh, by by mentioning this. But <clears throat> yeah, it was it was fun. It was almost like the beginning of like the SaaS sort of um, movement, and um, and so that was that was my job. I I liked it. I I really enjoyed it. One of the things that I found, one of the things that you would find as an IC engineer is that you go very deep into certain problems and you have to write like how exactly things work. In that point, we were using C plus plus in, in Java. Um, the thing that I felt that was missing was the breadth and the the high level visibility. And so that's why I was like, okay, you know, I want to try and explore more of the business side of things. So I went into business school and then consulting because I certainly got that, scratched that itch of breath, especially with consulting because I went to a lot of different industries, solved all these different kinds of problems. Um, and it was great. And I was like, okay, I scratched that itch around breath, which is great, but I really want to go back into tech. Uh, because I loved being in tech and I felt like tech was the future, right? Having gone and worked in a lot of these other industries, I was like, okay, I want to go to the industry that is defining the future. And so I found myself back in tech and uh, picked more of the the business side of things because now I had the the business context. And I felt like I really gravitated towards go-to-market because I felt that, you know, this is where the company's revenue engine lies, right? For the most part, especially as you think of B2B SaaS, this is where the the revenue engine really lies and bring make in realizing the, the customer value as well as realizing the commercial and uh, business goals of the the, uh, the company. Um, and so I moved towards across different functions and I built expertise across different functions to be able to really understand how to build a go-to-market engine that is very effective, efficient, and can realize the dream of a lot of different product companies that are like, hey, I, I have a great product. How do I realize my dream? You need a strong go-to-market engine. Um, and so that's sort of what brought me to uh, this space and this, um, this specific discipline, one could call, if one, one, one can call it that. Yeah. And you bopped around. I can see, you know, during your time at LinkedIn, um, you did some biz ops, you did monetization strategy, you spent some time in marketing. I mean, you really were trying everything, right? And you were heavily into sales strategy and ops by the time you got to Slack. Given that, you know, your current role is head of revenue strategy and operations at Notion, and you've had some of this experience at other PLG companies like Slack, what would be advice you give yourself on day one of your current role? Is it like nine some months ago now, looking back? Yeah, I think that um, the advice that I would give myself is that um, be prepared for constant change um, and be prepared to adapt to it and stick to, um, you know, don't be afraid of sticking to first principle thinking, right? Um, And so I think that that is something that I would tell myself. The reason is, Constant change in a in, when you move to a smaller company, everything changes all the time, and you just have to be used to it. And if you are stuck in one sort of mode of thinking, then you are going to be left behind. Um, so constant change is is really important. Uh, and I think that you know, nine months in or ten months in, um, I have uh, um, I have like adapted to this movement and how quickly it moves, uh, which and I and, and I enjoy it. Um, so that's that's one piece. The second piece is around. Um, you know, and this is, you know, I've spoken to a lot of different uh, peers who have gone into different companies, is that once we have experiences, we have experiences for a reason, and we have seen certain playbooks for a reason, and that's why you're brought into the company. 
But one of the things that I really try to apply as soon as I got in is that, you know, what are, what is the thing that works the best for that company? And being able to take, put, a, push, put aside some of those experiences and really think from first principles on certain a- a- problems. You might find other problems where it's easier to implement a playbook, right? Versus going down and trying to solve, uh, you know, solve from first principles. For example, systems and changes in one area where you could like, you know, it uh, you go and use some of the the learnings that you've seen in the past, but in other areas where there is a unique product that you're taking to market, there is a unique customer value that you are providing. It requires a lot of deep, uh, fundamental, foundational thinking uh, versus like saying, "Oh, this is what I've seen work in the past. I'm just going to apply it here." So, Nam, you you have a pretty amazing b- background. Um, and I sense that you can go in pretty much any direction that you want. In an ideal world, what's next on your career bucket list? Uh, I think that I, I I don't know if I'd call my career an amazing career, but I think that I've had the 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 privilege of learning uh, from a lot of different uh, people and companies uh, in my past. So I'm I uh, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, in terms of where I want to uh, go in the future, um, I do want to to move more into the uh, the sales side, and because I've had I've played along the sidelines for so long, and I'm ready to be a player. Um, and so I really do think that you know sales is likely the next move for me, and then really being able to up level that at some point to more of a um, CRO path. Um, is um, is is hopefully uh, something that I want to pursue. Well, maybe one of the tools in your tech stack that you know that you light up about when you talk about will uh, will hear this and and ask you to ask you to come along. Maybe, yeah, maybe. So leading RevOps is pretty intense. You talked about the hours you keep. You've got a team scattered around the planet. Uh, what do you do to unwind from the insanity of the RevOps role? Yeah, I actually love to to run. Um, and so I have a Peloton tread in my house. Uh, and so I, um, every, I try to do five days a week, like go on a, go on at least a, a 20 minute run in like 10 minutes from training. I love working out. Um, and it just allows me to just, you know, decompress and disconnect, uh, and really, um, focus on, uh, a different side of things, which is challenging my, my, uh, my, physical abilities. Um, and so I think that that's, um, that's fun. And I think that's one of the things that I really like doing. No wonder you always seem so energized and calm because you've got the workout in every single day. That's amazing. My last question for you, Nam, before we wrap up here is, are there certain resources or people, um, folks who talk a lot about RevOps that you personally turn to to keep your go-to-market ops and RevOps thinking fresh. Um, And maybe it's an opportunity for you to shout out anyone that you've worked with before. You're like, oh, this person has been amazing, taught me so much, or I've learned so much with uh, working together. Um, What kinds of resources would you recommend people to check out or people to follow? Yeah, resources. Really, really good, um, really good question. I actually um, spend a lot of time on YouTube researching um, AI and what is how it's going to change the future and what are the some of the top uh, tools and uh, workflows that it's going to impact. So I spent a lot of time just like Googling and like searching and researching on that. Um, so that's one of the things that's honestly helped me keep my thinking up to mind because the pace of change is rapid. It's like changing on a daily basis. Every day, it's like something. There's a new trend, and I'm like, "Oh shit, I need to catch up." So there's a lot of FOMO that's going on, which uh, which I find really interesting, and I um and I do um like that. Um, I I do want to call out and shout out to some of the the awesome folks that I'm currently working with, and I that I've learned a lot from, and um, uh, obviously, you know, have seen a lot of growth on uh, growth with uh, you know, some folks. Uh, my current CRO, Erica. She's amazing. Um, she was uh, GitHub's uh, CRO as well, so it's great to great to learn from her. Um, and uh, I also worked with uh, Bob Freddy, um and Eli Weiner, uh, both uh, both some great. Uh, you know, was, uh, Bob was the CRO at Slack, and Eli was the, the head of RevOps uh, at Slack, and I used to report to him. 
So both great folks uh, that I've learned from and also my my previous uh, leader, Matt Heist, uh, who used to uh, lead finance for Slack, also a great mentor. Uh, so these are some amazing folks that have really influenced my career. So definitely want to give a shout out to them. Amazing. This is an awesome crew. And maybe Eli or Mass or someone might hear this and they might want to join the podcast at some point too. Yes. Last but not least, where can people find you, Nam? Are you on LinkedIn? How can they find out more about Notion? What are the places they should be visiting? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm there. I am very responsive to in-mail. Um, so feel free to reach out and uh, I'd be happy to get back and answer any of your questions or be ready to have a chat as well. Great. And if they want to find out more about how Notion can help them, where can they find out more about that? There's a lot of uh, resources online around how to use Notion. You can learn about our different pricing operation op- options online as well. Very easy to get online, as you know, that there's uh, there's like millions of users using Notion all over the world. Um, so uh, hopefully very accessible online. But if there's anything that I can help with, please reach out and I'm happy to help you with it. So now this has been an amazing conversation. We're so appreciative of the time spent with you uh, here today. Uh, it was so interesting to hear you talk about your your daily three pr- uh, priorities that you focus on each day, and even allocating time in your in your schedule uh, to ensure that you spend time on the big rocks. Um, I appreciated hearing about the sales methodology and sales pr- process work as the company's scaling and how that feeds enablement. I also really liked your comment on uh, uh, being prepared for constant change in this kind of a role. So. Uh, it's really just such a pleasure to hear your enthusiasm and and hear about your many experiences. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And we'd also, of course, love to thank everyone who's been listening these last 30-some episodes. We're coming close to the end of season one here. Um, so if you learned something today, if you've got someone in mind who you're like, this person would be great for the podcast, uh, please reach out to us on RevOps Rockstars on LinkedIn or ping David and I on LinkedIn. But today, so glad to have Nam share your experiences. We're so glad that we could spend the hour together. Thanks again. Thank you, Jaren. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. And this has been another exciting, eye-opening, maybe we got to catch up on AI sort of episode for RevOps Rockstars. And we'll see everyone next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OpFocus. Visit OpFocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 